Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. You know, who when he heard in verse five was hit with a flood of feelings, Jacob was. First comes a feeling of intense pain, a sharp pain, soul pain. Uh, you know, oh no, the pain of it all. Then comes the wave of sorrow, deep sorrow, real sorrow, sadness of heart. Then grief, a debilitating grief that makes it hard to stand up. And those are the first feelings that come, the pain, the sorrow, the grief. Then comes the next wave of anger and the thoughts of who is responsible for this? Who is to blame for this? That's what we do. We want to blame somebody when something like that happens. Jacob wants to blame someone. He wants to blame someone for what happened to Dinah. And so Jacob's thinking, okay, who am I going to blame? The first one he's thinking, top of the list, God? Jacob would think, God's to blame. Yeah, why did God let this happen? I mean, I was just getting my life back on the right track. I left Sukkota. I'm here. I built, look, I built this new altar to God. I named it after my dedication to God. I called it El Elohe Yisrael, the God, the God of Israel. My name's Israel. There's my God. I build this altar. Is it right for this to happen to me after I dedicate myself to God? I mean, why didn't God protect Dinah, my daughter, from this defilement, this terrible thing by Shechem? That's it. God's to blame for what happened to Dinah. But then, you know, Jacob, he, he's like us. You know, you get a grip. He said, no, 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 wait, 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 hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. <laughs> Rule one, God's good. I refuse to believe that God's to blame for what happened to Dinah. No, if it's not God, who's to blame? And Jacob sits there and thinks about it a little bit, and he says, oh, uh, it's me? I'm to blame. I'm to blame for what happened to Dinah. I'm the person who's ultimately responsible for the safety of Dinah. I just didn't keep a good watch over Dinah. That's it. It's all my fault. I'm to blame for not being the father I should have been, for not being the diligent father I should have been for Dinah. Or maybe there's something wrong. Maybe there's something wrong in my life. And God made this happen to change me. God has allowed this. Because like God said to Israel in Leviticus 26, Leviticus 26, 21, God said to the Jewish people, if you walk contrary to me, and will not hearken unto me. I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you which will rob you of your children, destroy your cattle, make you few in number. Your highway shall be desolate. If you will not be reformed by me, by these things, 
but will walk contrary to me, then will I also walk contrary unto you and will punish you yet seven times for your sins. That's a very, very significant word, interesting word, significant word that God used for Israel when he used the word reformed. You know, God told Israel, if they walked contrary to him, he would walk contrary to them. And reformed is a great word because it shows the love of God. It shows the Lord Jesus Christ loves us. And when we form a new way of life, oh, I got a new way here. I formed this new way. I'm not, I don't have to obey God. I'll, I'll disobey God, and, and I don't even care about it. Then he brings trouble on us, not to destroy us, not to annihilate us, but to reform us back to a life of obedience. And there's the question that it comes, and it should come when something terrible happens. What am I doing wrong that God has allowed this to happen to me? You know, the what question, it's very healthy for us to ask when a tragedy happens. It's a great time for us to have a look at ourselves and ask, is it me? Is it me? Am I wrong? And God has brought this trouble to me to get my attention. Maybe I need to take a good look at myself in the mirror. The Bible says in, in Proverbs 26, 2, the curse causeless shall not come. So one question that would come to Jacob's mind is, am I being chastened? Is this my chastening? That's it. I'm to blame that this happened to Dinah. But, you know, we don't stop there. He doesn't stop there. So he thinks to himself, you know what? Jacob would think, Leah's to blame. Yes, Leah. Oh, yes, of course. Who's Leah? She's Dinah's mother. She's responsible for taking care of Dinah. Mothers take care of children. Mothers take care of daughters. Why did Leah let Dinah, her daughter, leave home and venture off to see the daughters of the land? This is Leah's fault because Leah, she was responsible to care for her daughter. Leah's to blame. I never liked Leah in the first place. That's it. It's Leah's fault that this has happened to Leah. And you can go down that road. Doesn't really get you very far. And, you know, we go down these roads too. They don't get us very far. Then he would think, it's the handmaid. Dinah had a handmaid to be with her. She should have known what would happen, that she should have known that Dinah was venturing off into very dangerous land. That She should have come and told me. The handmaid should have come and told me. I would have put a stop to it right away. Dinah, you're not leaving home. I would have stopped it. That's it. It's the handmaid's fault that this happened to Dinah. You know, all these replayings. That's what we do too, you know. And then he would sit there and say, wait a minute, Dinah. It's Dinah's the one who decided to leave home. This is Dinah's fault. Dinah never should have left home. Dinah knew how dangerous the Canaanites are. Dinah exposed herself to this danger. That's it. This is Dinah's fault. Then he would go to the next one. Shechem, what am I thinking? This is all Shechem's fault. He's the one who took Dinah and lay with her and defiled her. This is all his fault. Nope, wait a minute. Hamor, Hamor, Shechem's father. This is Hamor's fault. He's the father of Shechem. This is his fault. How did he raise his son anyways? Oh, wait a minute. It's all the men of the city. The men of the city, they're the ones who tolerated and fostered such a sexually permissive environment. That that resulted in the defilement of my daughter, Dinah. It's the fault of the men of the city. It's all their fault. The men of the city are to blame for the defilement of Dinah. That's what his sons thought. So these are the flood of feelings of sorrow and anger for what happened to this young 13-year-old, probably 13-year-old Dinah. 
That's what happens to us when we get shocking, unexpected news. Like Jacob, we're hit with a flood of feelings. We feel the pain. We feel the sorrow. We feel the grief. We feel the anger. And we could put ourselves in this picture. We can also plug Job, by the way, into this picture and see the same flood of feelings and thoughts. It's just a repeat that hit him as he got one bad news after another. And Job could have easily become bitter with blaming his servants. Oh, Job would say, it's my servants. Job's servants, they were caring for the oxen. They were caring for the donkeys. Why didn't they stand and fight and protect the oxen and the donkeys from being stolen by the Sabaeans? Job could have thought, my servants are to blame for not doing their job. It's their fault. They just ran, and they were killed with no fight. It's their fault that I lost my oxen and my donkeys. Or Job could have blamed the Sabaeans for stealing his oxen and his donkeys and killing his servants. Or Job could have blamed the Chaldeans for stealing his camels and killing his servants uh, who were caring for his camels. Or Job could have blamed his servants and caring for his camels for not fighting off the Chaldeans. Ah, ah, but ultimately, Job could have blamed God for the fire that came down from the sky and burned up his sheep and killed his servants caring for the sheep. Ah, Job could have blamed God for the wind that made the house fall and kill his sons and his daughters. Job could have blamed God for the sores that didn't heal that were all over his body. And actually, that's actually what his wife said. His wife just came right out and told Job that it's God who's to blame. And she said in Job 2.9, then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. For Job to have blamed God as his wife wanted him to, or for Job to have blamed his servants or his Sabaeans or the Chaldeans for all the losses, that would have been Job taking the position of, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this, which is the road of pride. That's the road of pride. The road of blame and bitterness is the road of pride. But instead of taking the road of pride, Job takes the road of humility. When he humbles himself and he says these great words in Job 120, Job 120, Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down on the ground, and worshiped. Worshiped? That's what it says. He worshiped. And said, naked came I out of my mother's room, naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord had taken away, Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. In other words, he didn't blame God. Instead of blaming God, Job turned from all of his troubles and just worshiped God. He just worshiped God. That was what Job's trial was all about. You know, Satan said to God, you know, Job is just with you because of the wealth, health, and prosperity. That's the only reason he's here and walking with you. And if those are taken away, Satan says, oh, Job's going to leave God and go down the road of blame and bitterness. And when Job says, you know, I was thankful to God when I, was, when I came into the world naked. I'm going to be thankful to God when I leave the world naked. He's saying, I don't need wealth, health, and prosperity to love God. I love God for who God is, even if I am stripped of my wealth, health, and prosperity. I refuse to blame I refuse to become bitter for my losses. That was Job who did not blame. He did not become bitter. He humbled himself and worshiped. 
And we're looking at Jacob's family now. And Jacob's family, they did blame. They did become bitter. They rose in pride, and they said, not against our family, and justified a demonic path of deceit and mass murder. So what this means for us is that there are two roads before us. Which one are we going to take if we get some terrible news of some loss? Job's road of humility and worship or Jacob's family road of blame and bitterness? And then we're told in verse 5, another detail about when this all hit Jacob. It says in verse 5, now his sons were with his cattle in the field. Now that means Jacob was alone when he got this news. Why? Because his sons were with his cattle in the field. You know, that means when he got the shocking news, there was no cell phone coverage (laughs) out there. He couldn't call anyone. And what do you do? What do you do when you get shocking news like Jacob did and you can't talk to anyone else, you know, about it? You know, what do you do when in a moment your world disintegrates? You know, you're just instantly upside down. You don't have any answers. You don't have any strength. You just got trouble. I mean, what do you do when the only word to describe your life is trouble? What do you do? There's a great phrase here in verse 5. Jacob held his peace. That is great. Held his peace. Five great words of counsel. Bravo, Jacob. Don't talk. He held his peace. Literally, the Hebrew word is harash, and it means to be deaf and dumb. The words used in Psalm 38, 13. But I, as a deaf man, I, as harash, heard not. And I was as a dumb man that opened not his mouth. It's used in Micah 7.16. The nation shall see, Micah 7.16. The nation shall see and be confounded at all their might. They shall lay their hand upon their mouth. Their ears shall be harash, deaf, deaf. So the first thing to do is just to shut down the motor mouth, <laughs> the mouth on the motor, shut that down. And act like a deaf person who didn't hear it. Just, just what Jacob did. Jacob held his peace. Jacob harash. When tragic news comes, it's a time we need to hear from God. And, you know, on each one of our tables down in Takati, at the cancer clinic in Takati, which is a tragic time when you get cancer, is a book there, each one of the tables, it says, The Sword of Suffering. It's by Stephen Olford, Bible expositor, former pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in New York. And that book is an autobiography of his suffering. And it starts off when he is in the office of Dr. Kirby Smith, who founded the Memphis Cancer Center, and Stephen Olford had gone to him because he had a lump under his left arm, and it was biopsied. So there it is. Stephen Olford, his wife Heather, his son David, and they're all in Dr. Smith's office, and Dr. Smith looks at Stephen Olford right in the eye, and he says, Dr. Olford, you have aggressive non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, cancer, and treatment must begin immediately. That was Jacob Heard. You know, no one said a word. It was absolute silence. No one said a word. That was, he held his peace. He was harash. Until his wife Heather said, we haven't eaten since early this morning. Do you think we could slip out for a quick lunch? You know, that was the, and Dr. Smith says, yes, but hurry back. So again, silence. And the whole Olford family goes back to their hotel room to have lunch. Everyone harash. Everyone held their peace. Just like Jacob 
till it was time for them to pray before eating. And Stephen Olford broke the silence with these words, Lord Jesus, we worship you. That was it. That's the right way. With those words, you have cancer, which by the way, he died from that cancer. His whole world was turned upside down. And Stephen Olford was in the middle of, of, at that time, directing the Stephen Olford Center for Biblical Preaching. He had a radio program, a TV program. And one statement, you have cancer, his whole world suddenly disintegrates. But he did the right thing. Jacob held his peace. Verse five. So immediately after receiving the shocking news, like Jacob did, we just need to do what Jacob did. Go harash, go deaf and dumb. Don't speak. Don't start to blame. Just collect yourself. As Moses told Israel when they were when they were looking at their death, madly marching toward them in the form of all those Egyptians on chariots with their swords and the Red Seas in front of them in Exodus 14.10, Exodus 14.10, where it says, and when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord and they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt. So what's this? This is Moses' fault. But thou hast taken us away to die in the wilderness. Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth in Egypt? Is not this the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And what did Moses say? Moses defended himself. Moses, no. Moses said unto the people, fear ye not, stand still. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you to this day. He's saying, harash already. He's saying, Stop, stop, stop speaking. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see again no more, and the Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Ye shall harash. Now, after we stood still and gone harash, then what? First, we have to remember every word of Psalm 46. Psalm 46, one through three. Every word. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. Especially those words, those are so important. The Lord, God, God, God is our refuge. Our hope is not from a church. Our hope it's not from a group of people, although you're a wonderful group of people. Our hope is not from a counselor. Our hope is not from a friend. Our hope is from one person, God, God himself. He is a refuge. A refuge is a place you run into for shelter. The Lord is the person that we run to for shelter. As David said in Psalm 62, 7, Psalm 62, 7, in God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. In Psalm 91.1, Psalm 91.1, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. God is our refuge and strength, strength. Shocking news drains us of all strength. We don't have any more strength. We need strength. 
And that's when we find perfect strength in God. As it says about Joseph, when Jacob is on a deathbed and he comes to Joseph, he says, Joseph, I'm gonna sum up your life like this. In Genesis 49, 24, Genesis 49, 24, Joseph, his bow abode in strength and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. We said it before, the bow, little guy, pulling back on a bow. He doesn't have the strength to pull the bow back, so God comes behind him and he says, keep holding it, little fella. Let me take this hand. Let me take that hand. We'll do it together. That's the picture. And then Miriam sings at the destruction of the Pharaoh. Miriam sings in, in Exodus 15:2, and her words are, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. He's my God. David says, in 2 Samuel twenty two thirty three, God is my strength and power. He maketh my way perfect. And Psalm 18, 2, Psalm 18, 2, the Lord's my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation, my high tower. Psalm 81, 1, sing aloud unto God our strength. Psalm 30, 15, thus saith the Lord, God, the Holy One of Israel in returning and rest, shall you be saved in quietness and in confidence. In quietness, harash, quietness, and in confidence shall be your strength. See, it's our decision. Are we going to make God our strength or not? That's our decision. It's not automatic. It's not automatic. And we can see others who do not make God their strength. And David pointed that person out in Psalm 52 7. Psalm 52 7. Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength but trusted in the abundance of his riches, in the greatness of the American medical society, <laughs> and strengthened himself in his wickedness. Very present help in time of trouble. That's how God is described. Very present help in time of, when it says that, very present help, it's emphasizing there's a very special presence of the Lord during trouble. That's the reason to harash, or hold our peace when trouble comes, to enable us to know that very special presence of the Lord, that he is a very present help in trouble, as it says in in Isaiah 63.9, Isaiah 63.9. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and his pity, he redeemed them, he bare them, carried them all the days along. The Lord is described, in that verse in Isaiah, described in Psalm as a very present help in trouble, and he's called in Isaiah, the angel of his presence. So the Lord is very present in time of trouble. Just like in Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that was a bad day for them when they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Right? That was a day of trouble when they were cast in there. The Lord's a very present help in trouble. What happened? Daniel 3.23, Daniel 3.23. These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, true, O king. He answered and said, lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire. They have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. How did he know what the son of God's form was? He knew. He knew. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Do you believe God created the heavens and the earth? Then come celebrate Creation Day on Saturday, November 5th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. This is a Christian family festival event with games, rides, contest prizes, fair food, petting zoos, animal shows, super science experiments for kids, plus life-size dinosaurs at our brand-new Dinosaur Gardens exhibit, plus world-renowned speakers, Ray Comfort, Tom Cantor, Eric Hoven, Jay Siegert, and more. Free admission to the museum and all speaking engagements are free for your family and the entire church family. The Creation Earth History Museum is located off Highway 67 and Woodside Avenue North in Santee next to the Santee Drive-In. Bring your family and friends Saturday, November 5th and strengthen your faith at Creation Day, San Diego's Christian Family Festival event. For more information, call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org creationsd.org.